0: If you've got your Bible there with you, in the living room, in the bedroom, in the truck stop, in the bathroom, wherever you're at, in this grand auditorium here. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. While you're turning, let me remind you of something. Uh, Our pastors are going to be here tomorrow evening from 4 to 6 o'clock. We have drive-through prayer. 4 to 6 o'clock is on the uh, West uh, East Portico. That's the one near the airport, East Portico. And if you just drive through there, you can stay in your car. Our pastors will be out there from four to six. You bring your needs, bring your problems, bring your worries, your burdens, bring your mother-in-law. And we're going to pray out there. And you just come on out there and they'll meet you there and love to pray with you. We, we got the best pastors here. talk right, our pastoral care pastors. And they'll pray with you and encourage you and bless you. And uh, so you come on out if you need that. We're going to have a grand time. All right, Philippians chapter three. Let me tell you something. Tonight we're going to talk about the future. A lot of folks worried about the future right now. We're talking about the future. We're going to talk about your future. We're talking about the future right now. And uh, here's what I want to talk about tonight. You can't go forward looking backward. You cannot go forward looking backward. My nation's having trouble going forward because we're looking backward right now. I dare say most of the people I know are struggling to go forward because they're looking backward. And uh, we have got to get this deep in our spirits from God's word and from his spirit that when Jesus Christ, when you turned your heart toward him and you gave your life to Jesus, he didn't just save you for eternity. He came not that you might have life only, but abundant life on this planet. You're going to see in the scripture, he has written out a great life for you. He's written a great plan for your life. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Jesus loves you and he's got a great plan for your life. I could show you scripture after scripture. This book is a testimony of the people who were nobodies, nothings, in trouble who abandoned their lives to Jesus and he took them from the guttermost to the uttermost. I mean, they went from zero to hero because God got his hand on their life. It's not just for them. This is for every person. I'm going to show you in scripture that every person was created by God for good works that he wrote before time began that you should walk in them and you have the most wonderful future planned by the father. Uh, I came up with this saying, I know the plans I have for you plans for good not for evil. His plan for you not evil. They're to give you a future with a hope. But right now, so many people are living and they cannot get out of the prison of the past to get to where they need to go. And we're going to look in scripture tonight that Philippians 3 is a tremendous promise. I love this. I've always just clung to this and I love to go just read this passage slowly and chew on it. This was a man, you know him as the apostle Paul. He was not a bad man before he started following Jesus. He was a very religious man. And he was the top of his religious class. He was the leader in his religious organization. And in Philippians 3, he says this, all that religious activity, my church, my leadership, everything, I threw it away so I could start following Jesus. Now, he he didn't just get saved. This man gave his life to Jesus and followed him. And he said later on, he said, looking back at my plans, which I was a very good person, very religious person. And now that I see what God's done in my life, I count that as garbage that I might gain what Christ had planned. But in this passage, we find the, the, it's the linchpin secret of how to get out. Get, quit getting stuck in the past and find. I want you to read a couple verses with me. Philippians chapter three. Let's put in about verse 12 where he says this. Philippians three twelve, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Perfected. The man was not perfected. Not that I've attained or am already perfected, but I press on. You see that word press on? God's great kingdom ain't going to fall on you like a ripe cherry. You're going to have to press into it. And he, he wrote, press in. And it's the picture of a runner leaning forward to break the tape. This passive mess that's gotten on American Christianity where we just sit around and hope something good happens, that is unscriptural. Let me tell you about God's working in your life, the great working of his kingdom. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent have to take it by force. That's not bad violence or wicked violence. It just means you have to press in to get the best. And he said, he said, I'm pressing on that I can do this. Verse 12, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. He said, Jesus arrested me. Jesus called me. Jesus saved me. But he just didn't tell me to sit on my fanny and wait till he got back. He saved me for something. And I want to lay hold of what it was that Jesus saved me. I want to find out what the man's planned. He said, that's why I press on. Here's the secret verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to be apprehended. One thing I do What does it say? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. Now you look in that verse. Before you can attain God's best, what do you have to do? You got to let go of the past. You have to forget the things that are behind first before you can reach forward to the things that are ahead. And he was so single-minded. That's why he said, I'm not shotgunning all over the place. One thing I do I have seen what Jesus can do with the life. I want to have everything he plans. So I'm going to forget that junk and I'm going to press ahead. And then a little bit of verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize. This is a picture of a, of a person who has seen the goodness of God and what he would do in their lives, in their relationships, their business, their, their insight, their health, everything. And they've seen it. Listen, the kingdom of God is not something you endure until you get to heaven. Matthew 13, The kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field that a man found and hid, and for the joy over what he had, he sold everything he, gave, he had to get that treasure. It's not heaven. It's what God's planned on this earth. And this man said, I'm throwing all that stuff. I'm going to press in. I want to lay hold of what Jesus laid hold of me for. So obviously, he's laid hold of the great plans of God for this life. And he said this, I've got to forget what's behind me. So I'm going to look looking like in Scripture. This is a, the Bible is a book that reveals the nature of God, the nature of man, and the nature of Satan. And you're going to see tonight the nature of God, the nature of man, and the nature of Satan when it comes to our futures. Now, let me give you a little revelation. Here's a word. Let me read this to you. Satan steals your future by keeping you locked in the prison of your past. Satan is a thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy. When you look around you in this nation and you look around in your little circle of where you live, do you really think that's the best God can do for people? Do you really think when you see how people are are getting by today and living today, do you really think that's God's best? Satan will steal your future. He's a thief by keeping you locked in the prison of your past. And he's doing a masterful job in our land today. And uh, that involves a couple things. Number one, he wants to keep you locked in your past failures. There's not a person on this planet hadn't screwed up. Not many of them have done it as bad as I have, but that's not the issue. Everybody's got failures in the past. And if he keeps you locked looking back in the failures of your past, we call, that, we call that shame and regret. How many people are living with regret, especially if you're getting some years on you? I look back with shame and regret, and this constant song is in their heads of woulda, coulda, wish I. Let me tell you something. Fland is a few miles down the road. That's not a bad place to live, but living in Ifland sucks. You do not want to live in Ifland. You want to live in his land. And this thing of, of just the shame of the past, all right, now, if he keeps you locked in somebody else's mistakes in the past, we call that what? Bitterness and anger. Listen, you gonna live in that prison forever? Don't, don't call it, um, don't put that pig in a, in a tutu. Call it what God calls it. Don't call it hurt, it's bitterness. And he'll, he'll steal your future by keeping you bitter over the past. Bitterness is the prison he holds people in to steal their future. Bitterness or shame? Shame and regrets when you did it. Bitterness is when somebody else does it. And so that's one of the past. Number two, let me tell you another prison that he keeps people in. Molds. He keeps us in our molds. Romans 12, two says this, do not be conformed, molded to this world, but be transformed. And I just, I hear people say this all the time. I hear them say this, well, that's just who I am. No, it's not who you are. And we get locked in these molds that I'm I'm just average smart. I can't do much. This is what I've done. This is my past. And this is who I am. That's not who you are. Listen, somebody should come up with a a verse like this. If any man's in Christ, he will hold you locked into who you were yesterday. Who you were yesterday is not who you are today. Even if it's not bad, that's not who you are. Let me tell you about the God of this Bible. Let me tell you what this Bible reveals. He takes people who come to him and he so transforms their lives from what they were. Listen, if you say, well, this is all I can do. Well, you're locked in the past. You are who you were and who you are. I said, well, I'll always be. No, it's not. In this Bible, over and over, he changed people's names. A man named Simon, who was a redneck fisherman, he came to Simon. He said, I'm going to so transform your life. You're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter now. There was a man named Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. How'd you like for your mama to name you Deceiver? Leave it to Deceiver. Somebody should do a show like that. So he was Deceiver, but he wrestled with God and God said, I'm gonna change your name from Jacob to Israel. He went from being a Deceiver. Israel means prince with God. Sarai became Sarah. Baron became mother of many children. Abram became Abraham. Uh, Saul, the murderer, became Paul, the evangelist. And these people did not let who I've been for 20, 30, 40 years keep them locked in who God wanted them to be. And you can't get locked in. I don't care if it's been good. How do you know that's all he's got? Do not get locked into the past because who you were. And the third place we get locked in the past is called, I call it levels. You know, my daddy never got any better than this. My grandpa never did any better than this. My family, I come from a long line of this and this is the best I've ever done. It's the best I'll ever do. How do you know that? How do you, I don't care if you're 105. How do you know it can't be better tomorrow? How do you know you can't soar above what you, I talk to young people all the time and I challenge them, why don't you start your business? Just start a business. And they tell me, I couldn't ever do that. Why not? Every business that's out there got started by somebody. I'm watching people locked in their level that this is, the, this is the level of where I live at right here. I can never go above it. Yes, you can. The God of this book takes people above where they've been before. And that's, that's, I just think the enemy gets in their ear and says, you know, you, you can't do that. His name is can't. Somebody should come up with a phrase like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we get locked in the past over what I've been, where I've done, my, my mistakes, people that have locked me in, stuff like that, and it, it, it grinds us down. Let me tell you something about this level stuff. It, my heart aches when I see how people live, the believers. It's not, it's not that they're wicked and nice and smoking cigarettes and drinking Bud Light. That don't bother me none. Well, it bothers me if you smoke and blow it on me. But we're living so far below what Jesus died to give us. There's a great picture of this in the Bible. Jesus, the 1 Corinthians says that when the children of Israel left Egypt, went through the wilderness and came to the promised land, but that promised land not heaven. You're not going to be in bondage in, the, in heaven. You're not going to get defeated in heaven. You don't have to fight warriors in heaven. The promised land is a picture of the best God has for you in this life. And that journey is, a, the, you know, Pharaoh is a picture of Satan, a type and shadow of Satan. The deliverer came and broke you loose. You had to go through the Red Sea to get out of bondage. You had to go through the precious blood of Jesus to get there. You go through those difficult wilderness places and you notice he fed them. Uh, they went through, what was it? They had uh, magnesium and calcium, bitter waters of magnesium and calcium. And he made them drink it. What's magnesium? What's calcium do? makes you strong. What's magnesium do? It gets the garbage out of you. And sometimes we go through things that strengthen us and get the junk, the wilderness wanderings. But God's plan was not for them just to get out of bondage. His plan was to take them to the promised land and give them everything they promised. One of the great tragedies is that some good people, there were 12 tribes, two and a half tribes, they got to the edge of the promised land and they said, we're stopping right here. And they said this, we are content to dwell here. It wasn't, I mean, they had it good. They had plenty to eat. The Bible said their clothes never wore out and not one of them was sick. You say, well, that's pretty good. It wasn't God's best. God's best was the promised land where the grapes are so big, two men had to carry them on a pole. God's best was where you will live in houses you didn't build and eat pomegranates you didn't plant. And that's a picture of believers who follow Jesus, but they settle for less than what he's planned for. And they, and they say, well, this is my level right here. This is This is where I've always been. God's got so much more than that. And we need to be a people who say like Paul, I want to lay hold of everything Jesus laid hold of me for. I want everything he's got. I I want it on the inside, around me, everywhere. And I want to lay hold of what he's put out there. Now, everybody's got a past. Everybody's got a future. And you've got to choose. All right, I want to show you one of the most, I I love, I'm going to show you one of the most painful, wonderful passages in all the Bible. And I pray it don't offend you. But if it does, I pray you get over it fast so you can start shouting. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to show you that this passage shows you the nature of our God and what he's like as good as any passage in the Bible. Now, see, when I got I a young man, I got saved. I went into a church. It wasn't that good a church. Preacher didn't know the Lord that well. And it was sort of like, you know, if you ever make a mistake, you're damned forever and you're doomed. And if you ever, and God's mad at you and, and you just, you, you know, you're third class, fourth class. Preachers should know Jesus before they start talking. First Samuel 16 is so good. I love this passage. Let me tell you where we're at right here. History of the nation of Israel. They, God told them, I got the greatest plans for y'all. He is always telling his people, I've got great plans for y'all. And he told them, I'm going to take you in this get great plans. So they said, give us a leader. Give us a great leader that can take us into your best. So he gave them a king by the name of Saul. Let me tell you something about Saul. The Bible says of Saul, Kish had a son. And he was the most handsome man in the nation. And he stood head and shoulders above all other men. He was the most dynamic, charismatic, powerful, bold, fearless. He was a great warrior. He conquered a lot of land. You would have picked him out and said, that's the greatest leader there is right there. And he became their king. And they began to go into the greatness God gave him. But the problem was his heart would not follow God fully. And because he wouldn't follow God fully... God had to take his hand off of him and the nation lost the blessing of God and they were stuck for a while. All right, you got the king, his name was Saul. His spiritual advisor was the prophet named Samuel and these two worked in tandem. Samuel brought the word of the Lord and spoke to the people. Saul ran the kingdom and did the conquering and God spoke to Samuel and said, I can't use him anymore. He said, he has turned from following me and that stopped. Listen, the higher your position, the bigger your wake. The bigger your boat, the bigger your wake. How about that? If nobody knows who you are, you can't tear much up. But when you got a bunch of people watching you, you can tear a lot up when you're heading in the wrong direction. Or vice versa, you can help a lot of folks. And God put him as leader and he destroyed the nation. The Bible said, and Samuel was a rough guy. Samuel was pretty tough. The Bible said Samuel wept all night long and cried out to the Lord. He was so, all our dreams are dashed. This is not what we thought would happen. And the whole nation was crushed because their future was destroyed. And it said that he wept and he cried out to the Lord and he couldn't stop mourning. All right, so chapter 15 ends with the nation in turmoil. Saul has failed. Samuel is weeping and crying day and night. He's brokenhearted. Before we read this, what do you, and God's gonna come to Samuel. What do you think he'll say to him? Think he'll put his arm around him. I love this verse. First Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16:1 says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I love the word go. Get up. Let's get going. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I have provided myself a king among his sons. What did God say to him? You going to cry all night? You going to sit there and cry over the past forever? How long will you keep looking back and suffering over the past what does it mean? Fill your horn with oil. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get up and let's go. And then what did he say? I've got something better than what you just lost. Now Saul had a great kingdom. He built a great nation. Who is the greatest king that ever ruled in Israel? What is the peak of Israel? The Zion of David. And what Saul thought and what Samuel was crying over was it's all over. And God said, my best is still out there in front of you. How long are you going to cry over the past? Will you get up and let's go forward? I love this verse. <laughs> this is one of the greatest verses. And obviously this is not just in here for history's sake and for that. This, God thunders this if people will listen. Yes, we all get hurt. Yes, we all screw up. Yes, our dreams die. Yes, we get disappointed. Yes, other people do things that are out of our control. But it's time to hear God say, how long are you going to cry over what happened yesterday? How long are you going to mourn over your failures? And how long are you going to be upset over what happened Fill your horn with oil and come with me. I've got a great future ahead. I've got plans. And they're the greatest plans in the world. All right. Let let me help you here a little bit. uh, Let me be ugly for a minute. The Bible says, I love Ecclesiastes 3.1 that says this. For everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And then it gives a list of things that there's things we're supposed to be doing at certain times. Let me make an announcement. There is a time to comfort people. The New Testament is very clear. First Corinthians 12 in Ephesians and the book of Galatians. We are to comfort those who are suffering. And there's a time to comfort people, but listen to me carefully. The Bible said there, <laughs> there is a time to stop comforting people and start confronting people. Let me ask you a question. Samuel was suffering terribly. His heart was broken. His dreams were crushed. Why didn't God put his arm around him and comfort him? He did something better and comfort him. If God had comforted that man, he would have missed the future. But he confronted him and said, let's stop crying. You've cried all night. You've had time. That's a period of time. It's time for you to get up and celebrate now. And I love this passage. I, I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm not a very good comforter. I, I, I try. You know, my answer to everything, is, get your drink of water. you be all right. But uh, I, I'm really better at it than I make out. I'm not mean. But as a pastor, you know what I really want to say to people a lot of times? Let's move on. Let's get out of the pain of our past and let's lift up our heads and let's go with what God's got planned next. Even this great prophet was having his future stolen because Satan kept him locked in the prison of his past and the pain of what he'd suffered through. And there comes a time to bless people. Now, I'm just going to put it in normal language. <laughs> Sometimes one of the worst things you can do is to comfort people and pity them. Because when you do that, you leave them in their past. And, and now there is a time to comfort. There's a period But the Bible said there is a time for weeping and there is a time to stop weeping. That's in Ecclesiastes chapter three when it talks about times and seasons. And uh, that's why the enemy came to him. Now, I'm not being unkind. I I really, when people suffer, I suffer. I weep over people. But so many people are still weeping over things that happened years ago, their own failures, other things. And you know what they say to me? Let me tell you what I hear them say. Will you come see me in prison? Will you come see me in my prison? You know what I want to say to them? I want to say Luke four eighteen, The Spirit of the Lord has appointed me, he anointed me, He has appointed me to set the captive free. Rather than come visit you in the prison, won't you let me get you out of the prison? <laughs> Rather than cry with you, why don't we both start celebrating? Matter of fact, I, I want to, uh, let, let's have a little fun. I want you, I can tell you have a lot of fun now. I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Let's look over there. Uh, you can find Psalm, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and then you'll find Ecclesiastes. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, subtitled the book of Ecclesiastes The Lonely Wine of the Top Dog. I subtitled it I got to the top of my ladder and realized I leaned it against the wrong wall. <laughs> it, it could be subtitled The American Dream Will Kill You and that's exactly what it is. what the book's all about. But in this passage he he says there is a time Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there's a season. Now dear to everything there's a season for everything a person. And then he begins to talk about what not in the Verse four, he says this, there's a time to weep. There, was, there is a time to weep, but there's a time to laugh. What does it say after that? There is a time to mourn. When people lose a loved one, lose a job, and things go crazy, there's a time to mourn. But what does it say after that? There's a time to quit mourning and start dancing. There's a time for your hope to come back again. There's a time to start believing this is not the end of the line. There's a time to believe that my God is bigger than this garbage I'm going through. There's a time to believe that, he can, that these dead bones can live again if the spirit breathes on them. Now, I'm, I'm not. I'm, listen, there is a time to weep. There's a time to quit weeping. And that's what he said to Samuel. He said, how long are we going to live like this? How long will you mourn? Are you going to stay like this forever? And uh, I, I think we get out of balance on both sides sometimes, but we need to hear the Father say, there's a time to look up and rejoice and do this thing. All right, let me tell you the nature of the Father. Here's what the Bible tells me about the nature of my father. No past future can steal, no past failure can steal your future. I don't care what you've done. No past failure can steal your future unless you let it. If you don't have the future he's promised, it's on you, Bubba. Nothing can stop it. All right, let me me ask you a question. If you've ever read the Bible and you've seen all the people in the Bible, what's their history? Let, Let me pick a few. I'll pick Simon since he's my favorite. Here's Simon's history. He became a follower of Jesus as a young man. He followed Jesus. He failed Jesus. You know, what? Simon probably had the biggest failure in the Bible, right up there with Saul. He promised Jesus he'd follow him forever. And when the pressure got on, he denied Christ. He backslid. He cursed and swore, said, I've never met the man. He failed. What do people do after they follow Jesus and fail? He went back to what he was before he met Jesus. How many people have blown it, screwed up, dropped out? When he said, I go a fishing, he didn't mean this morning. He meant that was what I was, where I met Jesus, and I'm going back to what I was. And he went back to fishing. Now, see, I was taught that if you try to follow Jesus and you screw up, you just have to go back where you were because God's done with you. Who came and found him on the seashore? And, and what did he say to him? So you're going to stick with me forever, huh? What's the only thing Jesus said to him? Do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Here's Simon's history. He, he became a follower. He became a failure. He went back to fishing. And then he finished well. God's plan was never broken, even by his failure. You know why that's in there? God is trying to tell you what he's like. He's revealing his nature that I don't care how bad you screw up. If you'll come back to me, I'll pick it up. Now, just my humble opinion if I'd been Simon and I'd promised Jesus I will die with you and everybody know me, and then, by the way, you got to remember when Simon denied Jesus, he wasn't standing at 30 feet away, he was right there in the courtyard. If I had cussed him and sworn I never knew him in his neediest hour, his best friend forsook him, the shame, you'd have slunk off like Simon did. He just slunk off. And the shame, guess what the enemy had put in your ear when you tried to get up again? But Jesus was having none of it. I don't care what you've done. You can get up and go. You can pick it up and you can follow him. You can follow all through the Bible and all the, all the folks that are in there. Let me tell you the most beautiful one, and there's a book in the Bible that, tells, that reveals the nature of God for people like no other book. I think it's the book of Hosea. Hosea is a young preacher boy. He's getting ready. He's in seminary, fixing to get out of seminary, fixing to go get his first church and preach. And the Lord speaks to him and said, son. He said, yes, sir. He said, you need a wife. He said, I was hoping you'd tell me that. And he said, hallelujah. Jesus loves me. This I know. Okay, you need a wife. And he said, because uh, he's like me, he knew he had to pray and ask him who it was. And he said he said, I want you to marry the town slut. He did. Take Gomer as your wife, the town prostitute. <laughs> Poor Jose. And he said, Excuse me, I thought you said Gomer. Ah, I thought you said that. And he did. He told him said, You married the town prostitute. i many of you know town prostitute, local preacher is not a good combination? <laughs> Something about them women missionary union girls wouldn't appreciate that. So anyway, he marries her and, and he wants to obey God. And he says, hey, God's going to work a miracle. God's going to work a miracle. She's going to be a virtuous young lady. She's gonna be a great mama. God's going to show his mighty hand. And he married her sure as the world. And in no time at all, she's sleeping with everybody in town. Broke his heart by himself. And he went before God and he said, you did this to me. And he was bitter and he was locked in the pain of his past. His dreams are ruined. He can't be a preacher now. Uh, yada, yada and all that mess. And then... Uh, God speaks to his heart and she got in so much trouble she had to be sold on the auction block. Cheap slave prostitute. So the day came for her to be auctioned. She's being auctioned off on the auction block and they are bidding a little bit. She wasn't worth much because she was so messed up by then. And she bid a little bit and from the back of the crowd came this voice. I'll give everything I've got for her. And he rounded up everything he had on that farm and brought it up there and said, I'll trade everything I've got to get her back. And the townspeople were shocked because they'd come to humiliate her. He came to buy her back. And he paid everything he could to get her. And he picked her up and carried her home. And God did work a miracle, just not like he thought. Hosea is the Hebrew name for the word Jesus. And it's a picture. I don't care how bad you screw up. Your past does not dictate your future. If you'll just let him come pick you up again, go all through the Bible. Moses, 80 years old, (laughs) convict, hiding from the law. (laughs) You know an 80-year-old convict ain't got much of a future, does he? God spoke to him, his best days were in front of him. All through the Bible, it's a record that God, I don't care what has happened, if you will honestly turn toward him, your best days are ahead of you. His future will unfold. Let me throw this in about Moses. America, some things I don't like about America, and one is that they want to park you at 62. You see, you're just saying that because you're there. Yeah! You got that right. You know, People start holding doors for me. I can open doors for myself. I'm not that old. There's just this thing in the air that life is from like 17 to 40, maybe 45. And then after that, God bless you. Here's some brochures on a nursing home where are you headed to. And I'm watching people 65, 70, 75. You know what they're doing? Sitting around, riding the storm out, waiting to croak. <laughs> we need to hear God's word. Your best days are still in front of you. Don't, don't put out your landing gear. Keep going. That's for my old people out there. Here's the bottom line. Our father always has a future plan of hope and prosperity. I'm going to quote it again. It's oft quoted, but you need to quote it slow so it can get in your heart. Don't just write it off in your head. Hear this with your heart. What if God walked up to you and said, I've got, I know the plans I have for you. Good, not evil. Give you a future and a hope. Your plans are not constrained by your circumstances. My first preacher used to say, son, the future is as bright as the promises of God. It's the truth. All through scripture, we see this. I want to I show you something. I want you to turn with to Psalm chapter 30. Turn back to Psalm real quick. Well, we're going to look in 33, but let's stop by 30 on the way and I'll get you some candy here. Psalm 30. All right, I want you to look at me in Psalm 30. Let me show you, let me show you the nature of my father, the nature of God. And I'm going to show you the nature of Satan also. Because the Bible is a book that teaches us about God and reveals his nature. Now, you need to, you need to hang on to this scripture. Mark it in your Bible and hang on to it. <clears throat> For somehow, the I'm, I'm going to say this as humble as I can say it, but I think the church has not represented God well in our nation. I'm not being unkind. They just didn't represent him well when I was young, and I think we still need to work on it a little bit better. And this is one of the places that really caused me to see that. Psalm 30, verse 11. Psalm 30, 11 says this. You have turned for me my mourning into what? What does God do for people that are mourning over the past? He causes them to dance with joy in the future. Tell me the nature. And by the way, this is the nature of God consistent through the Bible. He takes people who are hurting and mourning in the past and he causes them to dance about the future. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You made me take off my funeral home clothes and you clothed me with sadness. Gladness. I don't understand the Bible and the church in our land. I guess I'm hacking the church tonight. I read in this book about gladness and freedom and celebration and hope and new life. And I go in church and, and I see, uh, what do you call it? Uh, embalm, bombing, embalming. Dear ones, this is the God of heaven who turns mourning into dancing. we got a lot of mourning in this land right now. Our king wants to turn it into dancing. And he wants to say to people, how long will you mourn? It's time to get up and start moving forward and look for, and by the way, the end, verse 12, so that I can rock the house and sing praises to you. Now, turn the page to Psalm 30. That's not where we're going. I just throw that in for free. Tom, turn the page to Psalm 33. All right, let me show you you in Psalm 33. Oh my goodness. When people wonder, what, tell me about the future of our nation. This is the passage where God talks about nations and their future. Psalm 33, if you want to look at some, the whole thing, we're going to look at a verse or two. You say, what do you think about the future of our nation? I don't need to think, I need to read. I want to hear what God says. Psalm 33, verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. This is that passage where it talks about blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Listen, our Father deals with people individually, we'll see that, as families, as churches, and as nations. And here is where it talks about blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. God blessed this nation greatly at one time. We were not perfect, but our leaders and these people, we got on our knees and honored him. All right. The Bible says this in Psalm thirty-three, ten. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people ineffective. You tell me the future of my nation. Are we following his plan for us or our plans? There's the answer. But now, <clears throat> what's this? And this is for you personally. Verse 11. The counsel of the plans of the Lord stand forever. The plans of his what? Heart. Out of the very heart of God come personal plans for you. Before my children were born, I was already having things I wanted to see happen in their lives. That's a father's heart. Out of the heart of God come plans. I had plans for my children. Guess what my plans were for my children? I want them to get on drugs and have a miserable life and die young. You think so? I dreamed of great things for those kids. I I just dreamed of good things happening. I dreamed of us having a family. I dreamed of good things. I dreamed of them marrying well. Praise God, so far so good. One exception almost, but it's going pretty good so far. (laughs) I ain't saying which one. But here's my point. I'm just being cute. Every father longs for his kids to have a great life. Yes or no? Look at this. The plans of his heart to when? Did they stop in Israel? All generations. That's me and you. Now watch what he does with those plans in verse 15. He fashions their heart. Let's go to verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the people, all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He's going to put things in your heart that he didn't put in my heart because his plans for me are not the same plans he's got for you. But I know this. If God's plans that came out of his heart were put into my heart, I would crawl across broken glass to get what he's planned. That's why I didn't want to follow Jesus. I thought he made you religious. I don't want to be religious. I want to have the best God's got. He fashions their hearts individually. Nehemiah said it like this in Nehemiah 2.12. I told no one what God put in my heart to do with me at Jerusalem. And it was a wonderful plan. He gave up a great government job to be a part of what God was doing because he got in his plans. You've written your plans on my heart. And it was out of the very heart of the God who created this universe, he has plans for your life. Let me quote this for you. He, well, I don't know why I'm quoting it. We're fixing to get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right. let me. right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and quote it. Here it is. How many of you believe God made us? That's a pretty easy question, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The question is not, did he make us? The biggest question for humanity to ponder is, why did he make us? Uh, in Psalm 23, I'm reading one day and Become come a place where it said, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. And I just stopped and I said, can I ask you a question? And he, I said, why did you make us? And you know what he told me? He talks to me like this. You know what he told me? He said, why did you make your kids? I said, so I'd have somebody mow the grass. I can, I can be cute like that because I love him. And I just laughed. I didn't have my kids to mow the grass. I'd rather mow my own grass. I'm the only one who can do it right. I didn't have my kids to work for me and bring money in. I got plenty of money. I, tell me why I had my kids. To have somebody to love and be good to. I, we, me and mama created our kids so we could love somebody and enjoy them and be good to them and bless them. And that's what we've done. And here's what he said to me. Me too. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. Why'd you make me? Did you make me work for you? <laughs> Can you hear heaven laughing? <laughs> One angel could do in five minutes what me and you can't do in five lifetimes. He don't need me to work for him. He created me for the same reason we created our children. You created your children, me. He created me to love me and be good to me and enjoy me. Ephesians 2:10 says this: We are the work of God's hand. We are the creation of his hand, created in Christ Jesus for good things that God has planned before time began. Before he ever said, let there be light, he had plans on his desk for you. You need to get in that folder and find out what's written in there. This guy made the sunset, folks. He don't make junk plans. I mean, look around at what he created. He don't create junk. Look at what's going on in my land. He did not create people to live like this. There is something better out there. The plans of his heart. To all generations, and that includes me and you forever. Right, here, here's, the, uh, here's the word for today in the USA Blessed futures are being stolen by watching the wind. This is a biblical principle. We're losing our futures by watching the wind. Are we in Ecclesiastes still? Well, go back to Ecclesiastes. Let me show you something else in this wonderful book here. I love the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it, just, it's the, it takes life, makes it so simple. And all it boils down to is all the money in the world can't make you happy. Get you a woman, get you a job, love that woman, eat your dinner, go to bed and be happy. Love God. That's it. That's Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. Unless you're a woman, get you a man. Whatever you want to do there. Ecclesiastes verse 11 says this. I mean, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I want you to look at a great truth with me. And this, this principle will apply to so many things in your life. And this is one of God's great principle truths. Ecclesiastes 11:4. 4. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the storm clouds will not reap. If you go and get all caught up in the storm that's rolling around you, you'll never experience God's best. Obviously, it's a farming uh, analogy. Farmer's getting ready to go out and plant his wheat or plant his corn. He looks at me and says, boy, there's a storm coming up. There's a storm brewing around here right now. I better not plant today. If you let the circumstances around you keep from following Jesus and investing in your life, you will never experience his best. We're living in a day of storms right now. Do I need to spend time? No, I don't. We're going to be in storms till Jesus gets back. Do not let the storms that are raging in this land rob you of God's best. You won't sow, you won't reap, you won't harvest his best if you let what's going on around you keep you from experiencing his very best. Dear ones, when the children of Egypt judged by God were in absolute darkness so they couldn't get off their bed what the Bible say there was a light on in Goshen where God's people were darkness is covering this earth deep darkness the people but the glory of the Lord is being on his people right now I am I am not dictated by what goes on in my nation the Lord God Almighty reigns Jesus is Lord and we're being kicked around by the storms. I hear people say this all the time, in the light of circumstances, since when did the circumstances become my Lord? It's not the plans of my circumstances, it's the plans of his heart. I'm in a meeting one time years ago, I, I forget when it was, and it was one of them budget meetings, which is right up there with the colonoscopy, and we was having a budget meeting and all that stuff, and we were sitting in there, and uh, we were discussing, and finally one old one deacon old spoke up and said, well, I think y'all getting a little wide in the turns here. We're in a recession right now, you know, and we need to consider that we're in a recession. Another one said, "That's right, we're in a recession right now." And several more of them moaned and groaned about being in a recession and might ought to cut back on the budget and quit giving the missions, yada yada. I said, "Hang on a minute." Now, and I really sure picked up my Bible and I just hoped <laughs> I wouldn't read nothing. I was just pretended I was. I looked in the Bible, I closed, it and I said, "God's not in a recession." I said, this nation might be, but he's not in a recession. I said, let's walk by faith and let him show how mighty he is in the middle of this recession. Well, I finally won. I mean, I had to get him there directly. I wanted to say to him, how long are you gonna mourn over this recession? Let's go. Let's get where he wants us to be. Because we gotta let, quit letting circumstances run. I was talking to somebody other than that, I was telling them about some things and they said to me, you're 62, you're gonna do all that in the next 20 years. Well, what do you want me to do? Sit down and croak? 62 don't mean nothing. It just means I can't run as fast as I could use to run. But then was, listen, we have got to quit saying my circumstances are going to keep me from having God's best. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you've got a criminal record. Praise God. Join Paul and Moses and David and Simon and me. Get in line. Let's all have a grand time. Cons for Jesus. Get in the middle of the show here. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have enough education. I came from a bad, knock it off. How long will you mourn over the past? Let's go. Lady told me the other day, I said, you need to learn how to do it. She said, I, it'd take me four years to learn it. She said, you know how old I'll be in four years? I said, how old are you going to be in four years if you don't learn it? We need to get to show on the road and quit making excuses. And uh, if you regard the win, you'll never sell. I saw the other day. I don't know if y'all knew this or not. They keep telling me the church in America's dying. Church is dying. Well, technically, I guess it is. I saw this past week where the Presbyterian Church announced they, they lost 55,000 members last year, but the guy was very excited. He said, that's not as many as we lost the year before. <laughs> well, let's just break out to champagne. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> ah! Even the Southern Baptists last year tallied the greatest loss in membership they've had in their hundred and some year history. The circumstances of this nation do not dictate my life, my family, or my church The Lord God rules. And we need to quit mourning over what's going on around us and say, get up and let's go. I've got plans for you. As he told the man, let's get up and let's go and let's see what he's got planned out there. His great plans are never dictated by circumstances. Now, let me flip, let me say one more thing before I'm done here. Contrary, if if you're not in a place where it looks impossible, you're probably not ready to go with him anyway. You know what the nature of this Bible teaches he don't choose the blessed, fortunate, uppity, mighty, scholar. I mean, he chooses a few of them, but he said not many. Matter of fact, let me, let me tell you the nature of God. I love this right here. I love it all. It's all good. love the nature of God. He came to a guy named Gideon one day and he said, uh, I'm going to use you to set your people free and you're going to crush that invading army, son. And Gideon said, I got, I, we got a problem here. And he said, what's the problem? He said, they have 150,000 trained warriors I got 30,000 farmers with me. God said, yeah, you're right. You're right. Ask any of them if they want to go home. If they're scared, tell them to leave. It went from 30,000 down. I think it was 8,000, something like that. Gideon said, we're going the wrong way here, father. He said, now I'm down to eight. I've only got 8,000 against 150,000 wars. He said, you're right. Take them down, get them some water. And if they laugh like a dog, tell them to go home. So he took that 8,000 down there, 7,700 lapped like a warden. He said, he said, I'm down to 300. I got 300 to whoop the entire nation with. And God says, I got you about where I want you right now. I think we can do this. Why does he do stuff like that? So that when we win great victories and we have great lives and we build great families, everybody knows that wasn't them. That was him. That's why he chooses the weak, the foolish, the rejects, the, I think it says base in New King James. You know, I drive a base model truck and ain't got you have to roll the windows up as a base. He chooses those people that no flesh will glory in his presence. He doesn't want you to be strong. He wants to show himself strong on your behalf. So if you say my past is terrible, my future don't look good and I ain't got no money. Oh, you're probably the next one he's coming to. I just love this kind of stuff. This is his nature right here. That's is what the message is all about. Here's why. Here's the deal. Let me tell you something about the future. Number, number one, two things. He knows the future. Read the book of Revelation. He knows the future. Listen to this. I read it every morning in my life. Psalm 118. He controls the future. His kingdom rules over all. Everything. He rules over all. All right, if you're sitting there with mama on the couch watching me tonight, repeat this after me. My past does not determine my future. What did Sergeant Carter tell Gomer? I can't hear you. <laughs> I know you're it. You just need to say out loud, I am no longer going to be a prisoner of my past. You know what this is right here? Jesus said, I'll give you the key. This is the key that'll unlock the prison of your past so you can get out of it and go on. And I love people. I care about people. I'm, I, I really am pretty good at comfort if the need's there. But I'd really rather raise people up and see them go to the next level that God's planned for them than to see them waller in the mud. How long will you mourn? Fill your horn with oil and come with me. I've got a plan that'll be better than what you just lost. That's the word of our Lord. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. I want people to get it in their hearts. I want them to hear your voice in their hearts. I don't care what they've done where they've been, how limited they are, how average they are. I I don't care how old they are. If they could look inside your folder on your desk with their name, it would rock their world. It would light them up. I praise you and I just thank you and praise you for the plans that you have for those who love you and you reveal them by your spirit. All right, Father, we need to do some serious praying tonight. I pray over every person in the name of Jesus, freedom freedom from the past. It is time to quit mourning and get up. It is time to forgive. It is time to lay down the bitterness. It's time to forgive yourself. Everybody fails and it's time to get up and turn your face toward the Son of God and say the past is history and I am forgetting tonight those things that are behind me. And from this day forward, tomorrow morning, when I reach up, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to reach forward to the things that are ahead, things that you plan. I praise you and thank you, Father. I declare in the name of Jesus, chains are broken, bondages are broken, garbage is cleared out, Satan's power is broken over people's lives who hear your voice and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I thank you and praise you. We will never go forward looking backward, but I thank you and praise you for a Savior who said, not wallow in the past, follow me. I pray in Jesus' name, plant the seed of dreams and hopes in people's hearts, whether it's for families, business, freedom, I do not care. Whatever you've written, the plans of your heart for their hearts, put them in there. In Jesus' name, I believe you for this, I declare in the name of Jesus, it is done according to the word of the Lord. In his precious name I pray, amen.